Amen, church. That is how you worship. So good to worship the Lord together like that. This morning, I have the joy of preaching my final message in this series, Shaped by the Psalms. And next week, we are so excited for Pastor Michael to be back from five weeks of sabbatical. Uh, Excited to hear how the Lord used that season in their lives to bring about some refreshment and some encouragement. And we're also excited for Pastor Scott and for his family as they take off the week after that. It'll be good having all of us together for one Sunday this summer. Well, as we've been looking at the Psalms and as we've been progressing through this series, uh, what we've been saying is the Lord shapes us by his word. That is, as we come to his word, we hear his voice, and in these pages, he actually begins to change, to transform the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live, the things that we desire. I began this series by sharing with you that I did some pottery when I was younger, and the Lord is very much doing that reality in our lives. He is taking this lump of clay, and he is transforming it, molding it into something beautiful for his glory and for our ultimate and eternal Joy. We've said that the Lord is oftentimes centering us on his wheel and that he has to apply various pressure to our life to thin certain sections out or else he has to add more moisture as he refreshes us with his word so that we become more malleable, softer, that we can be shaped by him. We've said that the Lord sometimes uses small cutting devices to excise things out of our lives and to continue to shape us specifically and intimately. And then we said that certainly the Lord will introduce heat into our lives for that is what makes us endure and lasting. As we open God's word, as we hear his voice in the Psalms, we're asking that he would shape us that he would transform us from one degree of glory to the next as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ in the word. We started in Psalm chapter one, the principle of the paths. Maybe this image reminds you of that Sunday. There are two paths. They each lead to a certain destination. We don't choose the destination. We choose the path. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We saw in Psalm 1 that we can meditate on God's word and so be changed by it, that the bridge between information and transformation is meditation, thinking deeply on God's word and asking that the spirit would change us through it. We then looked at Psalm chapter 16, my favorite passage in the Psalms, where Psalm 1611 reminds us, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
that our pursuit of joy and our pursuit of Jesus are not two different things, but in fact, they are one. And that if we would pursue infinite and eternal joy, it will only be found in close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That our God is not some cosmic fun sucker who wants us to have a boring, lifeless existence, but rather one who wants us to be satisfied with that which will eternally satisfy us. Then we looked at Psalm chapter 19. We saw the transcendent glory of God in creation and the imminent glory of God in his word that God speaks to us. He is not playing hide and seek. He is rather playing show and tell. And he is self-disclosing, giving us self-revelation in his world and in the pages of this book, in his word, disclosing to us who he is. We learned that nothing is like the word of God and nothing will benefit us like the word of God. It simply stands to reason that what God says will be more useful to us than what anyone else in all of creation has to say not to sit at his feet and soak our minds with his wisdom is sheer craziness, if not suicidal. God's word is more useful to us, is more helpful, is more profitable than anyone or anything. Uh, Last week, we looked at Psalm 34. Psalm 34 begins with, I will bless the Lord at all times. Why? Because he's got me. I will bless the Lord at all times because he's got me. He will strengthen me. He will uphold me with his righteous right hand. We talked about this is our role. We are the poor man, the poor woman. All we can do is cry out to the Lord for his help and rest ourselves on his mercy and his willingness to pour forth grace into our lives. God is the savior, the deliverer, the redeemer, the one who acts in a mighty way in our lives so that no man, no woman may boast so that God alone can receive the glory. God willing, next week, Pastor Michael will be back and we'll be in Psalm 131 as he closes out this series and showing us how we can rest our souls in the hands of the Almighty, that we need not worry ourselves with things that are too great or beyond us, but that we can rest in what the Lord has done and who the Lord is. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine what life would look like if we were truly shaped in this way? If the truths that we've been discussing here now these past five weeks transformed us, shaped us, informed all of our thinking, all of our speaking, all of our living, what kind of people would we be? What kind of glory would we give to the Lord? For our final message uh, that I get to preach in this series, we're gonna be looking at Psalm 145. If you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you now to turn to Psalm 145 as we talk about being shaped by seeing God. Uh, This psalm is a psalm of praise. It is the last psalm that is attributed to David in the book of Psalms. And it is an acrostic, which means that each stanza, each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet going in order, A, B, C, except Hebrew is a little bit different, right? Uh, It's like an alphabet of praise unto the Lord that David is seeking every way that he can to give glory 
to God. As we begin, I want to start with this passage for us, or with this quote for us to consider. C.S. Lewis said this. It's on the screen if you'd like to follow. He said, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what we indeed can't help doing about everything else that we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Long quote, beautiful to consider. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Enjoyment overflows into praise. Enjoyment overflows into praise. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. And so in Psalm 145, what I want us to hear this morning is an invitation to joy, to join with David, to join with God's people throughout redemptive history and God's people gathered around us now to exalt the Lord who is worthy of praise and to so delight in him and enjoy who he is that we cannot but help allow it to explode from our hearts and pour forth from our lips. Read with me, please, Psalm 145. Beginning in verse one, he says, I will extol you my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. 
and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever and all God's people said, amen. I love this passage. It is explosive joy. There is a triumphal crescendo as it is building and building and building, telling us about who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. And it ends with an exclamation and an invitation for all of creation to bless the name of the Lord forever. Here's the outline of the passage. This is what we're going to see. God is great. Tell everyone. God is gracious, merciful, and good. Tell everyone. God is faithful. Tell everyone. As we meditate on who God is, our hearts are filled with delight, and we know that our enjoyment of God will overflow into praise. So we tell everyone of who God is, for our delight will not be complete until we express it to others. God is great. Tell everyone. Look at verse three. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. It's like if you were sitting down with David, and he's sitting there like, yeah, he's great. No, he's really great. Like, he's great, great, great. That's who our God is. He is great, great, great. And the importance of awe in our lives cannot be understated. We must truly stand in awe of who the Lord is, and we must ask that the Holy Spirit of God continue to give us the gift of awe in who he is. Or perhaps we go to certain passages in scripture that remind us of the great, great, greatness of God. As he zooms in and considers one aspect of God's greatness, he does this in verses four through seven. He says, one generation shall commend your works to another 
and shall declare your mighty acts. One way that we can consider the greatness of God is to consider the mighty things that he has done throughout redemptive history and then declare those realities, those stories, those truths to the next generation. Uh, Friends that are serving in kids ministry week in and week out here at North River, that's what you're doing. You are speaking of the mighty deeds of God throughout redemptive history, and you are inviting them into that story in which we live and find ourselves today. He continues, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. We think about the things that God has done. He says, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and declare his greatness. Pour forth the fame of his abundant goodness and sing aloud of his righteousness. As we think about redemptive history up to the point where David is writing, consider the wondrous deeds, the mighty acts of God. He is the creator God who spoke all of creation into existence. At once there wasn't, and then there was. And all that stood in between those moments was the Lord God Almighty opening his mouth and saying, let there be, and there was. He is the God who proclaims redemption in the garden and who planned a plan of redemption even before mankind sinned. And the moment of their sin, he covers them and tells them that he is sending one who will one day ultimately save them, rescue them, redeem them from their sins. He's the God of Abraham who takes a man at 75 years old and makes a 25-year promise to him that he would have a son and that through Abraham and his family, there would be a great nation that would be used to bless all the earth. He's the God of Moses, the God who demonstrates his power and his supremacy over all gods and over all nations as he redeems his people out of the house of slavery, as he brings them out of Egypt on his eagle's wings and redeems them with his righteous right hand, demonstrating that there is no God like our God. He's the one who parts the Red Sea so that his people can go across on dry land. He's the God of Joshua, who destroys every nation far stronger than the people of Israel that were living in the promised land after giving them 400 years to repent in his grace and being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he brings in the people of Israel to dispossess the nations using a smaller and a weaker people. He's the God of David, who slays the giant and who conquers much of the known world and establishes the kingdom of Israel. And we know looking forward from Psalm 145, he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who triumphs over sin and death. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. This book is filled with story after story after story of God's mighty deeds, of his mighty actions here on this earth, in our history, in this existence. And we Christians, brothers and sisters, we are a part of this story. 
We are a people of story. We are not the main characters. We are to point to the main character who is God Almighty, who is triumphing in each and every season, in each and every epoch, in each and every era throughout redemptive history and to commend his mighty deeds to the next generation, to invite them into that story and know the greatness of our God. I love how verse three says his greatness is unsearchable because that means that for as long as we're here on this earth, I will never be out of the job because we can keep coming together every Sunday and we can keep pointing each other to how great God is. And then hear this, even throughout eternity, we will never plumb the depths of God's greatness. We don't show up in eternity and have infinite knowledge. No, we have infinity time to learn of the greatness of God whose greatness cannot be exhausted. We will not be bored for even a moment in eternity because we will always be learning something new about the greatness of God. Brothers and sisters, God is great. Tell everyone. Speak of his mighty deeds. Declare his greatness. Pour forth his fame. Sing aloud of his righteousness. As we meditate on the works of God, we should explode with praise. Second, this passage tells us that God is gracious, merciful, and good. We should tell everyone. God is gracious, merciful, and good. Verse 8 and 9, he says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. I love how these verses come on the heels of verses one through seven because we can consider and we can declare the greatness of God, but if all we have is a God who is great, who is mighty, and who is powerful, friends, that can be a truly terrifying reality. But as we pause to consider his greatness, we're also confronted with his abundant goodness. This verse here, David is actually quoting from Exodus chapter 34. It's where Moses is put in the cleft of the rock and he asks that God would show him his glory and the Lord does, he passes by and he declares his name, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. But did you know what happens in Exodus chapter 32? After God miraculously delivers his people out of 400 years of slavery, 10 plagues, all kinds of crazy things that people have never seen, opens the Red Seas, brings the people into the wilderness. Moses goes up on the mountain and he's there for a couple of weeks talking to God about what the future of this nation is gonna look like. In Exodus 20, he already gave the 10 commandments, the first of which is you should have no other gods before me, the second of which is you shouldn't create idols. Moses has gone for a few weeks talking to God and the people say, we don't know what's become of Moses. Hey, Aaron, make us some gods. What? After Exodus 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments, after they saw Yahweh, their God, miraculously deliver them, Aaron's like, "Uh, okay, all right, give me all the gold that you have. So he gets all of the gold and he takes it and he burns it in fire and then he fashions it into a golden calf and then he says this, here are your gods, O Israel. I just took them out of the oven. 
like think of, sin makes us stupid. It really does. Uh, and it does for us too, friends, not just the people of Israel historically, right? Uh, and then the Lord, after all of this, declares in Exodus 34 that he is a God full of grace, that he is a God full of mercy, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, in covenant faithfulness, that though his people have sinned grievously against him, he will continue on with them because of who he is. He is gracious, showering us with unmerited favor, giving to us what we do not deserve. He is merciful. He shows his goodness to us in our misery and distress. One illustration I've heard that's helpful in understanding the grace and the mercy of God, it's as if you're standing behind a judge sitting on his bench looking out at the guilty defendant and he looks at him and he says, you are not guilty and we see God's grace. But if we come around to the other side and we look at the judge in the face, he's welling up with tears and weeping because he sees this individual in his distress and in his misery. And this is a picture of God's grace and his mercy toward us, giving us what we do not deserve and having pity and compassion for us in the midst of our distress. The Lord is good, gracious, and merciful. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, brings these realities together of our sinfulness next to the Lord's grace and mercy. It says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? His grace his mercy, his abundant goodness to us. God is gracious, merciful, and good. Tell everyone. Give thanks to the Lord for this reality, for in his kingdom, grace and mercy and goodness reign. Speak of the glory of his kingdom. And as you meditate on his grace, his mercy, and his goodness, explode forth with praise. God is great, tell everyone. God is gracious, merciful, and good, tell everyone. And finally, this passage tells us that God is faithful, and we should tell everyone. Look at verses 14 through 21, please. Begins with a parenthetic statement, the Lord is faithful in all his words, kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, God, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways, kind in all his works. He's near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him and he hears their cry and he saves them. He preserves all those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Friends, God is faithful and he will always do what he says he will do and he will never leave you Christian and he will never forsake you brother or sister. This passage is developing for us the faithfulness of God. It declares that he is faithful to help the weak when they are falling, that even young men grow weary and fall exhausted, but not so the Lord. He will uphold us. He will strengthen us. He will give us wings like the eagle and sustain us. That when we're falling down and we find ourselves at the end of our strength, he is there. And not just to be found at the end of our strength, but he has been there the whole time. Whenever we are in need, we look to the Lord and he is faithful to be there. We call on him and this passage tells us that he is near. When we cry to him, he saves us for he is there. And in his faithfulness, catch this, he helps us to remain faithful. He preserves us. He keeps us. Verses 15 and 16 remind us that the Lord is faithful to provide for us when we are in need. And it's not everything that we think we need or even that others tell us that we need, but rather it is everything that we need to live a life that is glorifying to him. The Lord is always faithful to provide for our needs. He hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. He provides for us and he protects. And though people may ultimately destroy our bodies, our souls have been made indestructible in Christ. And that you and I, so long as we have opportunity to give glory to God in his providence during this life, we are invincible until the moment we have given him every last ounce of glory that he intended for us to do, and then he takes us to be with him forever. The Lord is faithful to sustain. Oh, that we would put our hope in him, that we would depend on him and not ourselves for all that we need, that we would run to him in our weariness and depend on his strength. And not just when we perceive that we need it, brothers and sisters, but always at all times recognizing our need for him. So many times we try and take matters into our own hands. And then when we realize that it's too much for us, we're like, oh God, uh, we need your help. Okay, now you can help. I guess the only thing left to do is pray. Okay, God, now you can give it back to me with a nice little bow on top. I've got it. You go back to your corner. I'll go back to my corner. We're all good. Oh, that we would always depend on the Lord. What about you this morning? Do you feel like the one in this passage who is falling right now? Just exhausted, weary, feeling like it's just impossible to keep on going. God is faithful. He will hold you up. You simply need to run to him or else crawl if you haven't the energy to run. Or maybe right now you're feeling alone, 
wondering where the Lord is in the midst of what's going on in your life, this passage tells you you simply need to call out to him. That when you cry out, he hears you and acts on your behalf. Are you crushed in spirit, so discouraged or profoundly saddened by something going on in your life right now? Friend, the Lord hears your cry. He hasn't left you, he won't forsake you, and in his faithfulness, he will keep you. The Lord is faithful. Tell everyone. It gets to verse 21, and he ends by saying, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. As I was getting ready for this series, I wanted my last message in this series to be vertical. That is to help us lift our eyes off the ground to the hills where our help comes from, to the Lord, to the maker of heaven and earth so that we would see him, that we would remember who he is and that by seeing him, it would shape our very souls. But what this passage is telling us is that when we consider who God is, we cannot help take the vertical and bend it horizontal. We have to invite others in to the knowledge of who this God is. When we know his greatness, his goodness, his mercy, and his grace, we cannot help but tell others what we have seen. See this quote here. A.W. Tozer says, too many evangelistic appeals are based upon this fancied frustration of Almighty God. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for those who do not know Christ, but for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them and has failed for want of support. I fear that thousands of people enter into Christian service from no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation that his love has gotten him into and his limited abilities seem unable to get him out of. Add to this a certain degree of commendable idealism and a fair amount of compassion for the underprivileged and you have the true drive behind much Christian activity today. He then goes on to say this. The God who works all things surely needs no help and no helpers. Brothers and sisters, God has not gotten himself into an embarrassing situation that he can't get himself out of. He doesn't need you or me. And so it's not because God is desperate for support and put up a help wanted sign. No, it's because he's a good father that wants to invite us into the joy of the work that he is doing in the world. That's why when we consider the greatness, the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the faithfulness of God, we want to tell everyone. I had one student, he was a 10th grader at the time. He came back from a high school retreat, a time where he was focused on the word of God, where he heard biblical teaching and was with brothers and sisters exclaiming the glory of God in worship. At that point, he was homeschooled for five years and he went home to his mom and dad and he said, mom, dad, I am captivated by the glory and beauty of God. He said, there's the public high school right down the road and there's not a lot of people talking about Jesus there. It was a rough high school. He said, I wanna go and do something about that because I can't help but tell others of what I know about the Lord. 
Friends, this is what happens when we're captivated by the beauty and the glory of God. I had a student ministry leader one time email me and he said, hey, I gotta tell you, I heard from a parent today and the parent said, I just dealt with the best headache I've ever had. See, I've been on the phone all afternoon with school administrators and with teachers because after my son, after my daughter heard this truth about what was going on with the Lord and what the goodness of the gospel is, he went to school and he just started telling everybody about the good news of Jesus Christ. The problem is he was doing it at inappropriate times, like when the teacher was teaching, but he couldn't shut up about how awesome God is. Friends, this is true in our lives as well, or may it be true by God's grace. When we delight in something, we want to share it. For the delight is incomplete until we share it. This psalm is an invitation to joy. Joy as we consider who God Almighty is and joy as we share it with others and invite them to, to revel, to enjoy, to exult in and to extol the Lord and bless his name forever and ever. So Father, I pray that as we consider your greatness, as we consider your grace, as we consider your mercy, as we consider your goodness, as we consider your faithfulness, God, that we would explode forth with adoration even now as we respond in worship and that we would go forth from this place and that we would not be able to help speak about your glorious deeds. Father, that as the parents in this room would be faithful to commend them to their children, that as our brothers and sisters who are faithfully serving kids and kids ministry would be faithful to declare them, to tell them that in all places, in all spheres, in all places that you put us in your sovereignty, that we would be faithful to declare your greatness and your goodness, God. God, make us a people that are shaped by seeing you in your world and in your word and as we consider who you are, he would respond. God, now, with every breath that you give us in this existence, and then trillions of ages from now, throughout all eternity, for your glory, for our joy, in Christ's name, amen.